I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So jetpacks have a long legacy. The idea of jetpacks is something that's been science fiction, but you know, 10 years later in the 60s, there was jetpacks that were used as military tests to see if soldiers could didn't have to, uh, you know, walk to get someplace. They could, they could hop. It's like I lived a dream, you know? I had no idea where it would lead to, no idea whatsoever. You know, here I am more than 50 years later, still, Involved in rocket belts, heat or fuel, or would all be too difficult. Um, so I went progressively from one engine to two engines, you know, one on each arm, and then two on each arm, and then even an engine on each leg as well to achieve the first flight back in November 2016. I look at science fiction as the people that try to challenge us to build something better. So jetpacks are science fiction and science fact. Hello, and welcome to the world of Where's My Jetpack? Back in the 1960s, we were promised everything from jetpacks to flying cars and holidays in space. But here we are in the 21st century, with not a jetpack in sight. So what happened to those space-age dreams? I'm Sarah Crudis. And I'm Luke Moore. And together, we'll be taking you on a mission to find out. Each episode, we'll explore a different futuristic promise that never was to find out if it was all just science fiction, if these great inventions are just around the corner. From hoverboards and space hotels to aliens in deep space, we'll be answering some of the biggest space-related questions of our time. We'll also be joined by experts who are at the cutting edge of these different fields. From scientists and inventors to former and current astronauts, they'll help us to work out whether each invention is science fiction or science prediction. This is episode one, Where's My Jetpack? So Luke, today we're talking about the jetpack, which is pretty much the most iconic contraption of the space age, which people back then, you know, as far as the 1960s, thought would almost certainly have by now. Yeah, and I'm super excited about this one because I think with jetpacks, there's a very, very direct link between all the dreams you have as a child. And some people have them in their literal dreams as adults of flying, right? So I can totally see when I was doing the prep for this episode today, I can see why this one resonates with so many people and why it was planted as a seed of an idea in someone's mind very, very early on. Because let's face it, it would be absolutely amazing to have that kind of freedom, wouldn't it? Have you ever wanted your own jetpack? Oh, 100%. 100%. And I think... I don't know what the the interpretation of dreams are when you feel like you're flying. I don't quite know what that is, but it's clearly very, very common. And I think to have that freedom would be amazing. I mean, you only got to watch kind of Iron Man or, or read a read a comic from back in the day and realise that it would be incredible. And I, and and this is great because it it feeds into the theme of the whole series, which is that that time of great optimism in the mid twentieth century with scientific development just going at such a pace and everyone thinking. Those kind of science fiction ideas of the future back in the 50s and 60s are so different to what it is actually like in life now that it's hard not to be a little bit disappointed. Well, yeah, because we jumped into cyberspace instead of outer space. People imagine jetpacks and flying cars and actually what we got is 
Deliveroo. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> no, right, yeah. And, and Uber Eats. So, yeah. and these, you Which know, are great, by the way. Yeah, they, they're great, but it's not what we, people couldn't imagine. It's almost like our world of today is beyond the imagination. But in the 60s, you've got to remember, you know, say you were born in the year 1900. Just think about what you saw in your lifetime. At 12 years old, you saw the sinking of the Titanic. Then you saw two world wars and, and commercial trips across the Atlantic. Yeah. Humans went to space and walked on the moon. So jetpack kind of seemed a bit normal. Seems like quite tame. Yeah, it yeah. feels like something we expected, but we just didn't get that space future we expected. But it doesn't mm. mean that jetpacks aren't potentially around the corner, which is what we're trying to find out. Exactly. So you're the expert here, though, Sarah. So what do you think? So you think genuinely, I mean, that, that's a really good sentence. You said we explored cyberspace instead of outer space. Do you genuinely think, because if you go back to, say, the 60s, all the stuff that was going on in the 60s at the same time that cost huge amounts of money, the Vietnam War, the space race, all this kind of stuff, um, have, have, have we kind of not have we not invested in this type of stuff as much because we've just thought you know what there's other things that we need to invest in that are going to be more impactful on our lives instead well it's interesting that you mentioned the space race because that was government funded and we kind of forget that pushing the limits of exploration was funded by governments but what yeah. we're seeing now is private industry so all those bold ideas which people came up with first of all mm. if there wasn't any practical use governments aren't really going to fund them but now mm. We're in the entrepreneurial age, you know, the mm. entrepreneurial space age that I like to talk about. So mm. all those bold science fiction ideas, perhaps we just got the timing mm. wrong. And I, I hope, at least with the jetpack, that this is something which might happen in the future. Cool. So tell us about where it all started then. Niagara Falls, April 20th, 1961. Little more than a week after Yuri Gagarin had become the first person to travel to space and the jetpack takes flight. Well, that was the day Harold Grant made the first untethered flight in a rocket belt, flying 100 feet across a field in Niagara Falls, New York. From humble beginnings in science fiction... Ranger 3 and its pilot, Captain William Buck Rogers, are blown out of their trajectory into an orbit which freezes his life support systems and returns Buck Rogers to Earth ...to becoming a reality at the dawn of the space age. NASA designs a new machine the chance to fulfil the dream that man can fly in space. Though that first flight lasted just 13 seconds and took the pilot a distance of just 35 metres, the jetpack age had arrived, or so we thought. But it wasn't called a jetpack. It was instead known as the Bell Rocket Belt and was invented by Bell Aerospace engineer Wendell Moore, who originally developed it for use by the Army. Wendell also developed different versions of the technology, such as flying chairs and pogo sticks, with the hope that they could be used by astronauts on the moon. Roger, how does it look? Right. But NASA went with the more conventional lunar rover for its Apollo missions, and back on Earth, the rocket belt could still only travel a few hundred metres, meaning there was little practical use. Though the rocket belt kept on flying, it was now more of a gimmick. Welcome to the opening ceremonies of the games of the 23rd Olympia at Los Angeles. And just as easily as a jetpack had come to life as a science fact, it slowly stepped back to science fiction. No well dressed man should be the Yes, very practical. That's a fascinating into insight into the kind of genesis of of jetpacks and, and where they originally came from. And I was interested, Sarah, about the, the idea that it first happened in Russia. So I believe I'm right in saying that it was developed as a patent 
um, by the late 20s, but originally designed as an idea to monitor troop movements during wars and stuff like that, right? Do you know, your preparation for this show terrifies me. Thank you very much. You messaged me and I was at Thorpe Park going on a roller coaster <laughs> and you're telling me how much you've prepped about jetpacks and I'm like, hang on, I'm the expert in this. <laughs> like, I'm going to have to preface this as well. Yeah, it, it came from a patent in the Russia by uh, a Russian inventor nearly 100, well, 100 years ago now, mm. didn't actually turn into a jetpack, but really it was in the 1960s, so just a mm. matter of days after Yuri Gagarin had become that first human to orbit the Earth. And you've got yeah. to remember, put yourself in the mindset of what it must have been like. We've lived in the space age. We haven't known a time when humans hadn't been in space, but imagine mm. before that, mm. and then suddenly there's a human being in space, and then a matter of days later, you know, eight days later, a human being's flying a jetpack up in Niagara Falls. It's just... Incredible, and you can understand why people just assumed they were going to happen because people were also jetting off to space at the same time. Are you, are you as a science as a scientist? Are you are you kind of a little bit disappointed that the progress has been so slow in this particular area of jetpacks? Well, I'm not, but I almost think a jetpacks that kind of um, connotation with it. When you think about the space age promises, mm. that's the one which kind of it's rather sexy and appealing. We all wanted these personal jetpacks to to escape traffic and just to be able to. You know, as you mentioned earlier, to, to fly. Yeah. You know, people have, you think back to Icarus with his wax wings, yeah. I think it was, and like humans have dreamed of flying. And then actually, Bell Aerospace, I, I visited the factory and. Mm. These were some of the first developers of the yeah, modern one. That we yeah, so Wendell yeah. Moore, he was the inventor of the jetpack. Um, not the first patent, of course, he was, uh, but the, the inventor of the jetpack, the rocket belt, as he called it. And he was based at Bell Aerospace in upstate New York near Niagara Falls. And it's basically a derelict site now. And these right. people dedicated their lives to innovative technology. They also developed the LLTV, which is the Lunar Landing Training Vehicle, which Neil Armstrong flew. Neil Armstrong, the first person to land on the moon, mm. flew it, crashed it, nearly died, bit his tongue really badly. Right. Um, but that was a way of testing out what it'd be like to fly on the moon. And it was this crazy contraption. So Bell Aerospace was famous for doing that. And, and now it's left in ruins and people dedicated their life to something that never happened when they genuinely thought these mad inventions yeah. they were developing would come to fruition. Yeah, and talk to me about Bill Souter because we can't talk about jetpacks and the genesis of them without talking about Bill, who is a fascinating character and who I believe through quite weird circumstances became the first guy to, to fly a jetpack or a rocket belt as they called it then. Yeah, so Bill was one of the first ever... Um, Flyers? What's the what's the correct term? Pilot, Pilots? Yeah, Are you a pilot? Like you don't need a license. That's what's quite frightening. <laughs> Technically, anyone back then could fly a, a rocket belt. And I think the best way to describe Bill is to actually hear from the man himself and hear what he has to say. He's the reason I got hired. I used to cut his lawn. <laughs> and the army contract required that they hire someone with no aviation experience. I was 19. I had dropped out of school and um, was going to join the army. And he said, no, 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 I got a job for you. And uh, the rest was all history. It, it's like I lived a dream, you know? I had no idea where it would lead to, no idea whatsoever. You know, here I am more than 50 years later, still involved in rocket belts. It's just great stuff. It's great that he happened to be um, a neighbour of the of, of Wendell Moore and happened to cut his grass and wanted to do a different job as we heard and then uh, decided and, and Wendell Moore was like no no I've got a job for you well yeah he... if that was me Sarah I'd say <laughs> thank you very much for thinking of me but I'm fine thanks yeah, but imagine you're 19 years old um, it's either mow someone's lawn yeah. join the army yeah. or fly a rocket what belt. would you choose oh come on you'd fly the <laughs> rocket belt like, this is, you know, I, I know Bill I've, I've been to his house I, I've yeah. worked with Bill Bill 
has had such an incredible life. And I think it was almost the privilege of those people of that era. They were mm. born at the right time mm. and they had all these incredible opportunities. So Bill was mowing the inventor of the jetpacks lawn mm. and then he ended up flying one and mm. he ended up being pretty good at it because when you're 19 years old, you're not scared of much. No, but but I mean, I think we should probably... Um kind of clarify for people listening the expectation of what we mean when we talk about a jetpack at this point because I think there is a tendency when we talk about this and use these words to think to think oh it's like the Rocketeer that movie in the 90s or it's like you know James Bond or whatever but at this point um, not to pour water over it but is it fairly primitive at this point? It is fairly primitive it only goes a few hundred metres it's still would you go on one? Well the thing I don't like about it, Sarah, is this, right? I, I like the idea of it, as I've already said. I, I'm fascinated and very, very seduced by the idea of being able to fly. But then you're talking about chucking a load of hydrogen peroxide and all these yep. kind of terrible chemicals on my back and setting fire to them, and there's no way of getting out of it, and it starts to make me feel scared. Yeah, that's pretty much how it works. You've right, got okay. nitrogen and hydrogen peroxide. They mix together in a chamber. That kind of acts like a catalyst, and you get this stream of pressure, and, and then that is what takes you, you know, enables you to take off, so to speak. Mm. And you actually have a tether on first of all. So a tether right. strapped around your waist mm-hmm. and you have this. So people broke limbs and, yeah. and injured themselves, certainly. And, and you can't go very far. But it's interesting you mentioned James Bond because Bill Souter was actually in James Bond. He was the guy flying the jetpack in Thunderball. So right. he made a career out of being a stuntman. He flew at the 1984 Olympics. See, that's amazing. And that's what, listen, sorry to cut in, but that is what really gets to the number of it for me, right? I don't remember the 1984 Olympics, and I know you don't because you're younger than me, but I remember my dad talking about it quite a lot and just how impressed everyone was with, for those who haven't seen the clip, um, Bill flies a jetpack across from one side of the stadium to the other in the opening ceremony, and it looks amazing, right? Now, I understand there are limitations to the fuel and everything, but this is getting on for 40 years ago, and I don't really remember seeing any jetpack since then in any meaningful way, and to me that seems odd because that's 40 years of progress. So it's disappointing to look back at it and go, it's not gone any further than that. Yeah, but it wasn't really doing anything. That was the problem. The jetpack. Almost, it looks great. Though. It looks great, but it kind of became a bit of a gimmick because there were. Right. What I I love about Bell Aerospace is, as we mentioned, the past section they were developing flying pogo sticks, for example, flying platforms, stuff like that, and they they hoped that the astronauts on the the moon on during the Apollo missions could actually use these. Um, but NASA decided to use the lunar rover instead, use something mm. more conventional. But there was. Oh, yeah, there were a lot of hopes for what could be practical uses of the jetpack or the rocket belt, but they never actually happened. And it's, it's kind of disappointing to see that it was used in the Olympics yeah. and in science fiction movies, but it was yeah. never actually used for any anything real, anything practical. Right. Basically, Luke, that is the history of jetpacks. Yeah. Jetpack History 101. Yeah. Um, I hope you stayed awake during that. I loved it. Um, so jetpacks were this gimmick, certainly in the past, but actually we've still got jetpacks today just not in the way we expected. Let's learn about that. The idea of the jetpack never faded. Instead, it just got sidetracked. And thanks to advances in technology, jetpacks can now go higher, faster and further than ever before, as well as having some practical and perhaps unexpected uses. From jet suits with engines on the arms that can be used for search and rescue missions... To wing jetpacks and even jetpack powered golf carts. First the hovercraft, now the jetpack. Oakley's teaming up again with professional golfer Bubba Watson to introduce the world's first flying golf cart. Joining and if you fancy it, you can take a flight for yourself 
using a water-powered version. Jetpack is uh, basically what it is. It's a jetpack on the water. On top of all of that, the jetpack eventually made it to space. First tested by Bruce McCandless in 1984, who used one to perform the first ever untethered spacewalk. The man maneuvering unit was very large. It was like essentially a large backpack that you wore, and it had joysticks that came out in the front and you could steer it and it, it had a it had a far greater range and utility. Today, all spacewalking astronauts have a small jetpack-like propulsion system attached to their spacesuits for use in emergencies. It's fair to say jetpacks are here, though perhaps not entirely in the way we expected. Before we get into the fact that jetpacks are real and exist and are in use today, I want to know. <laughs> And oh, this no. is basically <laughs> the only reason why I'm here, to be honest, what, what it feels like to fly one, right? That's what I want to know. We need to put you in a jetpack. Is there one big enough? There, there is, there is. There is a, because um, jetpacks have really evolved. So it's no longer the rocket belt design that we had yeah. in the 1960s, which is literally something you strap on and then you have these two canisters on your back. Yeah. It weighs like 120 yeah. pounds. Now there's, you know, jetpack golf cart. Uh, you know, I don't know whether that's a jetpack or a flying car, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I've seen that. I've seen Bubba Watson, the golfer, yeah, using that. that's it. That's yeah. it. There's some amazing videos of that. And then there's this guy, Richard Browning, who owns a company called Gravity. And his is almost something like from a Marvel movie because it's a, a jet suit. So you put it on yeah. and then you've got, I don't know how to describe them best, like arms, powered arms, yeah. and the um, the propulsion system is in, in your arms, yeah. and you use your arms to actually manoeuvre huh. and fly around. So is he like the Elon Musk of jetpacks, crossed with Tony Stark? Yeah, I'd say Tony Stark. Okay, I would right. say Tony and, Stark of jetpacks. And is he doing it uh, in a way to ensure that in the future anyone can fly it? Yeah, I, I think that's the important thing, because as you mentioned earlier... None of us have flown jetpacks. It yeah. feels like something which is never really going to happen. A, a bit of a gimmick. But part of Richard Browning's mission is actually to ensure that jetpacks are for all of us. I started with one engine on one arm, playing around, just trying to dismiss theories like that the gyroscopic moment would make it impossible to manage, or the heat, or the fuel, or would all be too difficult. Um, so I went progressively from one engine to two engines, you know, one on each arm, and then two on each arm, and then even an engine on each leg as well, to achieve the first flight back in November 2016. Um, and that was pretty miraculous because I really genuinely didn't know if I could ever get this to work. And it was many, many small fallings over um, and many, many setbacks and all the time not really ever knowing whether this ludicrous idea would ever actually work. Um, the very first time it occurred in some crude form, it was just amazing. I couldn't believe that I was actually managing to achieve at least the first step of that original vision. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, Luke, you, you see jetpacks, they do actually exist. They're yeah. here, they're real, they're not science fiction, and actually... They're being used for very serious missions. So you can actually, and I think we should get you to do this, you can go <laughs> and fly a jet. I would love to see you in a jet suit. <laughs> yeah, is that right? I'm not sure how flattering it would be. Oh my and gosh, I, the video. We'll do you know what? <laughs> speaking, speaking of something slightly different, so I went to a, um, I went to a, a flight museum, like an aeroplane museum with my dad a while back, and uh, there was an opportunity to sit in a number of different planes, like a Spitfire, a Harrier jump jet, yep. and one or two others. And I couldn't fit in any of them because I'm too tall. Oh. Apparently you can you, you can only be I think a maximum of five ten or five eleven. How tall are you? Six three. So I couldn't get in it and get my photo taken. So I'm hoping if oh, they do that's... develop, if if Richard Browning, if you're listening and you do develop a jetpack for everyone, do develop one for for tall people as well. Well, I think I think you can go in that one because it is it's the arms. It's not something you physically sit in. That's the frightening thing about jetpacks. There's no. There's nothing yeah. between you yeah. and the jetpack. It's just you yeah. outside in the yeah. air floating I around. I don't <laughs> think someone like me would get the best out of it. I'd be too scared <laughs> to go more than about 10 feet high. Well, apparently Richard Browning's been training his son as well. Right. So okay. his son, he's like 11 years old, something like that. And he's going to be the youngest ever jetpack fire. Right. So it, 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 the idea is to make it accessible to everyone. But actually, it's not a gimmick. There's very practical uses for this jetpack as well. So one of the most important things is in mountain rescue. So yeah. Picture the scene, you're out, I don't know, you're on a mountain somewhere, somewhere in the world and you have an accident. People can't always get to you very easily. Even if a helicopter comes in, you're limited by certain conditions. But the idea is, at least for Richard Browning with gravity, is to for paramedics, search and rescue teams to actually use these jet suits mm. to go and find people to help mm. save lives. We were invited by the Great North Air Ambulance to go up and prove what we could do. Um, they very much had a vision of, of its value. We went up pretty open-minded, and the headline was: I could, um, I posed as the paramedic. Um, I managed to suit up and get to the casualty in 90 seconds uh, from the back of a four by four, and it, the casualty was halfway up a mountainside. When it took 25 minutes to walk there, um, so the, the the parallel that we we identified was really a bit like a paramedic motorbike. That doesn't take you to hospital, but it gets you through the traffic um, and very quickly to your side to, you know, stabilize blood flow or breathing or whatever it might be. I, I think, yeah, I mean, the first motor cars were considered to be, you know, noisy, smelly and inefficient and a joke compared to a horse. And look where that evolution got. It is an early stage technology when it comes to mainstream application. Fascinating, isn't it? So the idea that, I mean, I don't want to get in trouble for saying this, but it's almost tempting just to get a bit of an injury to see someone coming towards you on a jetpack to come and rescue you. But the idea that you can get there so much quicker, straight away, bang, if you can make it cost efficient and they can go into some kind of mass production, that is a huge improvement to people's lives when in the great outdoors, isn't it? It really does. And actually, um, Bill Suter, so obviously he dedicated his life to flying jetpacks. Yeah. And, and it... It is frustrating for him because nothing... Uh, I know a lot of the... Because he's a pioneer, right? Yeah, he is yeah. a pioneer. I know a lot of the Apollo-era astronauts and they're frustrated that humans never return to the moon because that's what they dedicated their mm. lives to, but at least we're still going to space. But for Bill, 
he dedicated his life to flying jetpacks, to flying rocket belts, and nothing's happened. But at the same time, Bill believes that there's a potential for using jetpacks as rescue platforms. That same technology hmm. could rescue people from burning buildings or when yeah. there's other accidents. So there is potential there. Imagine I went on the, um, what's it called, that big cable car, which goes across London near Greenwich. Oh, yeah, the O2 well, line. Or yeah, the O2 line. I went yeah. on that and it broke down. Right. But imagine, you know, if, if it really did get break your down for long, your yeah, handbag, you're you fine. could, or they could get a rescue platform, because otherwise you have to abseil down, apparently, if they can't get it moving. Yeah. Terrifying. Oh, really? Is that yeah. what you have to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, so, and that, that brings me on to my next question I was going to ask you because um, I know you asked Richard it's one about safety right so we all know Bill is he is his nickname Wild Bill because I think it feel like it should be um, Bill's, Bill's a legend yeah, Bill. so, but clearly there is a, as we've alluded to a number of times already on this episode there is a safety aspect to this right so is are there measures being taken by your, your likes of Richard Brownings and Gravity Industries to ensure they're safe because realistically Sarah if they're not going to be made safe that's a huge barrier to kind of mass production or to the use of them, right? Well, I think Richard Browning's the best person to answer that. People like the FAA and the CAA have permitted us to do what we do. And that's because despite us having a lot of energy and excitement and most of my team being in their mid-20s, I think I managed to strike a reasonable balance between that exuberance, but also keeping an eye on what can go wrong. It doesn't mean we always get it perfectly right, but no one's permanently hurt themselves at all in doing what we've been doing for four years. And we've, as I said, done thousands and thousands of flights. This is probably more akin to the early days of Formula One, where it was a dangerous pastime. You know, it didn't kill everybody that did it, but uh, but they had to, they you know, they had to go through a pretty difficult time of uh, lots of injuries and challenges and things. And that's because um, they were pushing boundaries. So I think... In essence, basically, we have got jetpacks, but they're still not quite here how we expected. Like, mm. we haven't got our own jetpacks, but there is the potential that they can be used to actually benefit people's lives. Yeah, so I think we're talking here, aren't we, again, about how perhaps Bill and his pals were so far ahead of um, their time that we've maybe just been a little bit impatient. And they are coming, but they're coming slowly. We might not have got the jetpacks we dreamed of, but the technology is still in use. From rescue systems to allow first responders to reach remote areas, to helping robotic spacecraft land on other planets. Jetpacks are even being developed to provide escape systems for future astronauts and help avoid tragedies like this. A shuttle, a shuttle broke, broke apart, apart over Texas, Texas and Louisiana as it re-entered Earth's atmosphere. All seven crew members on board were killed. And there is even the possibility that jetpacks could be used when humans eventually explore the planet Mars. Touchdown confirmed. Perseverance safely on the surface of Mars, ready to begin seeking the sands of past life. So while it's not yet time for you or I to be strapping on our own personal jetpacks to escape traffic and dart to the shops, the industry is certainly, excuse the pun, starting to take off. Yeah, so I mean, fascinating stuff. Uh, where, so where do you think, Sarah, in your opinion, the future, what does the future look like for jetpacks? Because we are, it feels to me, having learned what I've learned today, we're on this cusp of something perhaps really fascinating with with jetpacks specifically. So where do, what do you think the immediate and, and medium-term future looks like for this, this piece of technology? Well, I think one of the main ones is, of course, as we discussed, which is happening already now, it's for rescue systems on mm. Earth. Imagine like an earthquake, for example. You know, when Sometimes people can't get to certain areas where people mm. are trapped, but we know thanks to space technology mm. what the lie of the land is. And, mm. and if you could potentially get someone to fly in on a jetpack, you mm. can access parts of Earth to rescue people, which is one a huge use. But then the other one, and I hate to bring it back to space, um, but I yeah. do love space, but yeah. is 
in space exploration. So have you heard of NASA's Curiosity rover or yes. Pers- and Perseverance? Yes, on Mars. Yeah. Right? Yeah, cool. yeah, so they're the two rovers, the two newest rovers that NASA has on Mars. And they actually use jetpacks to land on the surface of Mars. Great stuff. There and, we go. And, and the, another question I have for you was, clearly there's going to be limitations as the technology improves. And I think it's, it's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're already here now in terms of space flight and in terms of um, technology. Sometimes the limitations are down to what humans can actually deal with, right? So a human can only travel so fast before it's in a, in a, in a, in a rocket or whatever before it's, the body's going to let it, let it down. Does that make sense? I think so. Go so what, what, what I mean, I is, don't know where you're going with this. Loop, I mean, okay. <laughs> if, you, if you take it, if you take it to its natural conclusion, say you you find you you develop a space rocket or whatever or a space a spaceship that can travel to ninety nine percent the speed of light, right? A human being isn't going to survive that. We're talking about jetpacks. I know. Today. So what I'm saying is, if you were to, if you were to solve the problem around fuel and around how efficient jetpacks can be and how their practical uses can be solved uh, and and the safety thing can be taken into account, there's only so much you can do because human beings won't be able to go. A human being can't fly five thousand miles an hour in a jetpack. Is what I'm saying. I know, but we we don't need to go faster than them. So like, but I want to. I know you want. To. <laughs> yeah, and you've gone from being too scared to go on one. Do I want to okay, go? sorry. <laughs> I want other people to, and I want to watch it. <laughs> well, you know, we have had people like of Eve Rossi, for example, who's tell us a bit like, more about that. Yeah, he's had like his wingsuit, and that is that's terrifying stuff. I mean, you, you could try that. We might have to get some decent insurance for you. Yeah, um, but uh, at the very least. And then that's kind of. Like, I can't see the practical use of that just yet, but things like such as landing on Mars, mm. the reason that's important because Mars has a, a really thin atmosphere. So the moon has no atmosphere. You use rockets to land on it. Yeah. Earth, thick atmosphere. You use parachutes and heat shields to land on it because you can use the atmosphere to slow you down. Mars has the, the worst of both worlds. So right. it's got this thin atmosphere. So it has a giant parachute to slow an object down when it's trying to land on the surface of Mars. Parachute's not going to slow you down enough because the atmosphere is so so thin. So the rocket engines, the jetpack engines, which are right. on these new Mars rovers, actually help to slow it down to the surface. So it flies its own jetpack yeah. to land on the surface. So I know you really want to go fast, yeah. but a slow jetpack can actually mm. transform the space, the future of space exploration. Because if humans want to land on the surface of Mars, and a, a crewed spaceship will weigh much much more than Curiosity right. rover, which weighs about the same as a car, you're going to need a giant jetpack. Yeah. on top of a giant parachute to actually slow it down to land on the surface. So the immediate future for jetpacks is actually quite literally going to be making a big contribution to when humans actually go to Mars. Yeah, humans go to Mars and then also the moon or Mars. The gravity is much less on these other worlds. So you could potentially, you know, you weigh about a sixth less on the moon. Yeah. You might want to go to the moon. When travelling to these places... I I think I'm right in saying that we could also use these. I mean, you mentioned that you touched on it earlier about how, you know, emergency situation when astronauts are doing spacewalks, they have little jetpacks built in so they can kind of rescue themselves if they need to or get out of a situation. Are we looking at um, developing that further to to help astronauts if there's a potential for an accident in space, for example? Yes, yeah, so Challenger broke apart 79 seconds after launch and then Columbia, as it's coming in for re-entry, uh, one of the tiles from its, its heat, or some of the tiles from its heat shield were missing and it actually caused the spacecraft to disintegrate during re-entry. The astronauts died on all those missions. It's a huge tragedy because sometimes we we take for granted space exploration. We don't realise just how dangerous it is. Mm. One in 17 astronauts have died right. on duty. It yeah. is a hugely dangerous profession. Imagine going to work knowing there was a one in 17 chance you might not come home. Mm. But astronauts take that risk. So 
one of the person who I've known and worked with and interviewed is a guy called Dr. Jonathan Clark, and his wife was tragically killed on board the Columbia Space Shuttle accident in 2003. He's a former NASA medic, and he also now develops space safety things because one of his firm beliefs is that he could potentially prevent a future tragedy like Columbia if astronauts on board had some sort of escape system and yeah. jetpack technology could potentially help with that. But one thing that was very evident is for an upper atmospheric breakup, and the cha- and the Columbia broke up at, starting at around 180,000 feet, you would need some kind of s- stability system, uh, essentially a jetpack. But it would be used to, to keep the... Uh, the crew member from going into this flat spin. So a team at Draper Labs, uh, working with the company that built the uh, pressure suit for the space shuttle, the David Clark company, developed a thing called the variable vector suit. And it's interesting that if you think about it, that's essentially what a jetpack is. It's a variable vector system. So the variable vector suit is was uh, developed as a concept and it's, um, it's still undergoing kind of prototype uh, analysis and testing. But if you wanted to go from super high altitude above where the, or uh, where Columbia broke apart, um, you would need something like a variable vector suit to get attitude control. And you would need a pressure suit like was used on the space shuttle program after Challenger. And interestingly enough, the Russians also had a spacesuit and ejection seat system for their space shuttle, but it was—it never flew humans, but it was tested. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating stuff, isn't it? Because I mean, it's also amazing that that, that Dr. Jonathan Clark is using a tragedy to to help fuel his, you know, his his quest to make space travel and space exploration even safer. Um, which is a really you know, amazing thing and, and should be hugely respected. And and I think that the more safe you can make it and the more um, uh, sort of facility you have to make the travel safer, the more you can do of it, right? Because it's the, the risks are less. Presumably it becomes uh, a lot more palatable for, for governments or private companies to to fund it because you know it's going to be safer and it gets us all in a better place. So, they could t- so Jetpacks could have a really big um, say in how safe we make space travel as well. There's certainly the potential. I think with space travel, there's always going to be risks and there's always going to be people willing to take those risks because we're going to go higher, faster and further. And as you go further away from Earth, there's going to be more risk. But if we're talking about close to Earth and the most dangerous Mm. parts of space exploration is launch and landing, Mm. and particularly as non-professional astronauts, as space tourists start going to space, Mm. we need to make space exploration as safe as possible. It needs to be one day on par with getting aboard an aeroplane. So yes, there is that potential. Had and we'll never know the answer, but had the crew of Columbia potentially have had some sort of escape system, the outcome could have been slightly different. So what would this have looked like then? Would it have looked literally like they then suited up jetpack and they just they just exit the exit the shuttle and they and they fly down to safety? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. That's, that is amazing. I mean, that is really like science fiction made science fact. Yes, it is, and it's almost like the equivalent of a an escape system from a, a military jet, for example, an ejector seat. So the very first few space shuttle flights, they actually had um, the commander and the pilot actually had escape systems, so ejector seats. But then when they made the space shuttle able to carry more people, 
they didn't have the room for more ejector seats and mm. the commander and pilot decided they didn't want to be the two to escape and then everyone else is sure. kind of like... So that's a make sacrifices, basically. Yeah, they, they yeah. had to... Um, you're a team when you do yeah. something like this. So there is the potential of this technology to make launch and landing safer for future space travellers. And as you say, that then disrupts the space industry. We, You know, it goes... You check everything from space assets, you know, satellites, which are used to benefit Earth. You check those in the event that's of That's incredible, isn't yeah. it? That's amazing. Because, like satellites matter people dedicate 20 30 years of their life and then when the rocket blows up yes no one's died but imagine if your life's work sure. blew up in front of you and we rely on these um, satellites a lot as well right so i mean they're a big part of our lives even though we don't really think about them they're a massive part of it yeah when you call your uber eats your delivery like yeah. so there's there's a potential to make space exploration safer there's a potential to um disrupt the way we explore other planets and enable mm. us to use jetpacks to actually explore other planets and then there's also the benefits for life on earth um using them for rescue systems so i feel like in my personal opinion i don't think looking at the evidence we'll ever get our own jetpacks that we strap on to escape traffic i mean hmm. i just i would love to see you fly a jetpack Lou. it'd be great i would love to but I... so it sounds to me sir like what you're saying is that um to answer the question today where's my jetpack you're saying to us just be patient because although we're not probably going to get them all individually you might start to see them creep more and more into our consciousness because of all these different practical uses they can have in the future. So we just need to wait a bit. Yeah, they're, they're already here. They're here in ways we can't expect and they're not that famous right now. Mm. But they, they are just around the corner. And I, I think the final question should really be, are Jetpack science fact or are they science fiction? And here's Richard and John again. Uh, well, it's science fact, and uh, and I think it's going to uh, continue to impress with just how capable we can make it. Uh, and whether that's training clients, racing, or having it show up on on the news, hopefully doing things like paramedic work. Um, yeah, I mean, watch this space. It's going to be an exciting few years. Well, I look at science fiction as the people that try to challenge us to build something better. So jetpacks are science fiction and science fact. So the challenge is what uh, new science fiction writers can come up with new and novel ideas for jetpacks that will be used on the moon and Mars and these altered gravity environments. You should be able to go much uh, higher and potentially much farther in the lower gravity uh, fields on the moon and Mars. So I look forward to the ideas that science fiction writers have and hopefully it won't be uh, centuries or decades between the time they think of it and the time we can turn it into science fact. So the future is very bright. It's essentially jetpacks are still science fiction in some ways, but they're they're definitely science fact in others. There we go. Well, I feel like I've learned a lot today, which is great. What have you learned? I've learned that <laughs> um, I am far too large to realistically get into a fighter plane or have my own jetpack. No, you're fine for a jetpack. You can have the, well, the wingsuit. I've also learned that... Um, they're not going to come around every day to everyone anyway, so I need to have a very special reason. And, and, and the, the quickest way of me getting one is to somehow become some kind of either rescue person <laughs> or astronaut, which I don't think is that realistic. But what I've also learned is if you don't think the jetpacks are here, you're not looking hard enough, and you might not even have to look that hard in the near future. Fascinating stuff. Yeah, we, we've got jetpacks. Jetpacks exist. Um, so, you know, to answer the question, where's my jetpack? It's here already. And it's just around the corner in terms of things it can do to transform space exploration and what we know about the universe. And that, for me, is better than any science fiction movie because it's a reality. Okay, engine stop. Man on the moon. 
So thanks for listening to today's episode. Join us next week for one giant leap for mankind as we ask, where's my moon base? Where's My Jetpack is a stack production presented by me, Sarah Credis, and Luke Moore. The production team is Charlie Morgan, Luke Moore, and Sarah Credis. Our sound designer and editor is Tom Wally. Special thanks to Richard Browning, Bill Souter, and Dr. Jonathan Clark. If you like this show, please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. It makes a massive difference. And you can also find us on Twitter at Sarah Crudis and at Luke Aaron Moore. Where's My Jetpack is a stack production and part of the Acast Creative Network.